stories of human curiosity. My name is Regina Barber DeGraff, and I'm an astrophysicist, and I'm also a pop culture enthusiast. We have a tradition on Spark Science of attending the annual National Diversity in STEM Conference. This is held by SACNIS, which stands for the Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science. This was the fifth year in a row we were able to interview people at the largest gathering of scientists of color in the nation. And we were lucky enough to do it in Honolulu, Hawaii. In today's episode, I'd like to introduce you to one of the keynote speakers at this conference, Dr. Pamela E. Harris. Dr. Harris is an award-winning assistant professor of mathematics at Williams College, and she's one of the 50 women featured in the 2018 book, Power in Numbers, The Rebel Women of Mathematics. We'll talk about how she got into her field and her research. We talk about her identity as a Mexican-American and how we build a community in science. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you do too. I did some research on um, what you do, and like you have put together an awesome website. I think a lot of math professors, a lot of science professors, they're like, how do I make my class more inclusive? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and then we tell them, you know, you could feature scientists and mathematicians that aren't white guys. That's right. <laughs> And you now have made a resource for them. Yeah, I, I think it's exactly what you said. People are at a loss of where to find people to feature in their courses. And if the only people that are being featured in their textbook are old, dead, white guys, then it's hard for them to try to figure out, like, where do I find people? Yeah. Uh, and so we started this website. So me and my friends uh, started it, I guess, 2016. So we're... We're rocking it now. It feels like uh, we're kind of a smooth sailing machine running this website, but it's Latisums. So L-A-T, which stands for Latinx, H-I-S for Hispanic, and then M-S for Mathematical Sciences. So lathisms.org. Okay. And we run a calendar every year. So what that means <gasps> is during Hispanic Heritage Month, we unveil a mathematician at midnight every day from September 15th to October 15th. Wow. And that's like holiday gift season. I mean, yes. that's smart. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. And uh, this year was really wonderful because we moved more into math educators. Now, all the mathematicians we featured are mostly math professors. We did have some people from industry. But this year, we really wanted to make a push for math educators who are, you know, at the foreground of just, like, getting the work done with students and upcoming teachers who are really going to change the face of science, right? Like we need these kids to see people like them. Mm -hmm. And so these math educators are, you know, the, the people that are making this happen. Um, and we also have uh, special features that come out usually in the notices of the AMS. And so we give you kind of like a sneak peek as to, you know, who we're going to feature that year. And so please be on the lookout for that if you're listening and the calendar has already passed. So we're going to go on the way back machine because this is what I do in my show. I, I like to really talk about also how people got into the field that they got into because I think a lot of, um, like you said, these young students that are in science and in, um, in math, they don't really know how we got to where we are and maybe it seems impossible. So yeah. how did you become an amazing mathematician? Uh, by complete accident. Like, I, I wish I were kidding. It was a complete accident. Uh, so I originally did not want to be a mathematician. It was the furthest thing from my mind. I really, I mean, I liked math 
but I didn't know what anybody could do with a math degree. Like that was not a thing that I started college out like seeking to do. But along the way, I really just had fantastic teachers and professors who just at every end of every semester, I just had somebody say to me, what if you take the next math class? And then I thought, well, I, you know, at home, my parents didn't go to college, and so they wouldn't know what I should be doing. And I thought, well, here's somebody who has a PhD in math who's telling me I should take the next math class. Of course, I should listen to them. And so it just kind of snowballed, like, take the next one, take the next one. And then all of a sudden, it was like, well, you should just be a major because you're almost done with the major. Uh, And that's literally how I ended up in graduate school, too. One of my (laughs) professors, Dr. Rebecca Sanders, who's at Marquette University, she was uh, one of my independent study professors. So we didn't have a a course that was called Real Analysis. We weren't teaching it that semester. And she said, well, you need to take this course because when you go to graduate school, you'll need it. And then I was like, what is this thing you speak of? What is graduate school? And that's literally how I ended up applying to graduate school. Because I was like, oh, well, she thinks I can do it, so I guess I go do it. Mm -hmm. And that has been my life. It has literally just been instrumental people at the right place at the right time. Just, I always envision my, you know, I imagine my life kind of like this little fish down a river. And everybody just kind of, there's just this little rock that I hit. And they just push me in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of keep, keep going along this journey. And it's, it's been absolutely by just sheer accident. Well, I, I think that um, I, I like your analogy of the fish down the river yeah. and that, that there's a rock or there maybe yeah. is another fish that yeah. like, kind of shoved you and you had to go that way. Right. However, there's the current, right? Yes. And there's, and there's the environment. And maybe, right. maybe the fish that you are is actually not going with the current because That's right. you're going against that current. That's right. But then you have these other things that are helping you. Yeah, absolutely. This has by no means ever been a... A easy right journey I just assumed N- no not not at all uh, I think a lot of the challenges have actually stemmed a lot more from me being an underrepresented minority than they have from being a woman mm-hmm. I get that question a lot being at the intersection of woman and person of color and for some reason the being a minority has always felt like it's the first thing people look at right like they immediately assume that i'm not capable Mm -hmm. and it's always felt that it's because they when they look at me they don't imagine a math professor i've Mm -hmm. actually had encounters where i've had old white men who come into a classroom after me and they ask me to clean their boards, oh my God. right? Or they ask me, like, when are you going to take out the garbage? And so their immediate reaction to seeing somebody like me out of front of a room is, like, I must be the janitor, right? And they're vocal about that. They yeah. do that in front of students. Like, their, their biases about who I am and what my job is based on being Hispanic has affected me tremendously. Right. And it's something that like I, I don't shy away from talking about it because I think it's still the experience of a lot of my students. And they need to know, again, by visibility, right? Like seeing that in spite of all of those challenges, we can succeed. Right. And in fact, they make us stronger. And so I have just surrounded myself with people that are just the most supportive family that one could ever have in the sciences. Yeah. And so f- for them is is really the reason why I've been successful. Right. right. I mean, we can find our school of fish, right? Yes. Absolutely. Speaking of that that fable like yes a bird and a fish can fall in love, but where will they live? Yeah. And so I always for me because I I'm, I'm mixed, 
because mm-hmm. um, I'm Asian and, and Mexican. I was always, I remember as a kid growing, like going to school, people would be like, why don't you get straight A's? You're Asian. And I totally agree with you that the barriers I felt were very much more my race and not my gender. At least that's how they felt at the time. Right. I'm, I'm sure, I mean, misogyny is true. Yes. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, don't get me I, wrong. I'm sure we were treated poorly because we're a women too, women of color, but it felt very much like it was racial yes. when I was a kid. And I remember, again, they were said, like, why don't you get A's? You're Asian. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're Mexican, so that's why you get the B's. Oof. Right? Like, it averages out. Yeah. What about? Wow. <laughs> I did not expect that one. I did get B's, though. But but the point is, <laughs> it was, I mean, the, the facts are true that I did get B's. But, yes, the racism is obviously there, right? And this hierarchy yeah. that we're talking about is that that, um, that professor that came in wouldn't have said that to a white woman. Of right? course not. And definitely wouldn't have said that to a to white, white man. And maybe probably wouldn't have said that to a like Hispanic man, man. maybe, maybe he would have. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and in in my department, I am the only Hispanic person. Mm-hmm. And that's sad because I don't look it. Um, I am, but I you know it's it's complicated because yeah. um, I don't speak the language and I don't speak Chinese either. But. Um, yeah, it's it's this intersectionality issue in science is really hard for me to explain to people. To have to explain that like your existence and That's that right. you would like it's hard. And I'm sure you deal with that same thing too. Yeah. And and I think one of the things I wanted to point out was uh, this new set of words that I learned about being emotionally hijacked. What people do to us is they take us out of that environment and they hijack our emotions, Mm -hmm. right? And I mean, it's really sad, right? Because it happens to us so often that we would just imagine that the default is that people are gonna do this kind of crap to us. Yeah. The truth is that I I think I still try to believe the best in people. And I'm always shocked that it continues to happen, right? Or, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's frustrating. I call. I think I'm a pessimist. I'm a snarky, like kind of, you know, a butt face. But um, I think that I really don't actually believe the things I say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm a I'm a pessimist. I, I say that. I talk the good game. But deep down, I really think the good stuff is going to happen because right. I'm always shocked. Like you're yes. right. I, I'm like, how did that just happen? Yes, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> like. I can't believe that it happens. I mean, and hearing it, right, I'm like, of course, you know, and and this is why I put my hand to my face where I'm like, (laughs) I I know what's coming. It's going to come. It happened again. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like hoping that that's not the story. You know, like I'm hoping that people get better and that the more we have these discussions about how microaggressions and not really microaggressions, macroaggressions are constantly happening to us, the more that we talk about it, that people grow, right? And that people hear about this and that they then spend the time necessary to think about the things that they're going to say before they actually just joining us, this is Spark Science, and we're talking with Dr. Pamela Harris. She's a mathematician at Williams College, and we're talking about how we counteract tokenism and how do we support students' love of math. When we're talking about your resource, in my mind, and please correct me if I'm wrong, 
we want to showcase scientists that people can be like, oh, I'm like that scientist. I'm making a connection. We are not putting them up there to tokenize them or to, it's like voyeurism where it's an entertainment thing. That's right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's a very difficult thing to explain to somebody who is not underrepresented. It's really difficult. And I worry a lot about a, being the token in anything that I do. And it's actually a conversation that I had recently. So at, at my department, we're uh, getting an external review ready, right? Which is something that departments do every so often. And there was a comment about me bringing some issues up that I saw as racially motivated, some conversations I had with people in my department that I, I found really problematic, and I requested of the chair that we bring in somebody who has expertise in that area. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the first person I suggested was a white woman, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm also not trying to overburden and overtax mm -hmm. scholars of color whose job it is not to inform people that are not of color mm -hmm. what they should be doing, right? And the comment then got turned into, well, Pam said that there are no people of color on the list of external readers, so we should add one. You're and like, that's I was not like, what that I is said. not what I said. I was like, also, this goes against everything I believe in about being the token minority in any group. I was like, so this is really problematic because it's really, it's really selling what I said in a completely different light that I am not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm really lucky that the chair of my department, it, you know, very quickly was like, oh, you're right. That's is not how it went down. I am sorry. I will apologize in Good. front of everyone. Um, and so I've been in situations where that is not the case, right? That, that some of my white colleagues do not understand where I'm coming from when I try to explain the challenges that are being, that I'm experiencing, that my students are experiencing mm -hmm. because we live at this intersection. Right. And I'm not sure that I have the right answer, mm -hmm. right? I think just continuing talking to them and every time that something kind of sits wrong with me, I feel empowered based on job security in some sense, yeah. right? To, to feel comfortable and saying, hey, wait, wait, that's not okay and let me tell you why. But it does get exhausting. Mm -hmm. You know, it is exhausting to a level that it prevents me from being as productive as I could be, mm -hmm. which for some people that's surprising because they're like, well, you're super productive. Your research has taken off. Like, you're a phenomenal teacher. You know, they're like, all of these things are great. At what cost? At what cost is the thing that they don't understand, right? Like, what do they know about my health or my relationship with my family? When is that something that they worry about in terms of my personal well-being? They don't. They don't, right? Because you're not a human, you're a token. Because I am a token, right? And, and so it is extremely challenging to navigate that and to at all times figure out what is best for my students, right? Because that's really who keeps me going. Because at this point, like... You know, I, I got my redacted tenure letter this morning. So oh, it's like, my. What? Right. Congratulations. I mean, it looks good. You it's know, not the official, but, you know. Well, we're getting the scoop. And when right. this comes out, it'll already be old news. But it the point is. News, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that or I'm looking for a job. So you were talking about how you are, um, you know, they, people tell you, you're so productive. You're so great. I agree with you that, I mean, last year was crazy for me, too. I had to take a break. But. What, tell me more about your research and like what, what kind of research you do. Absolutely. I love counting questions. So the kind of thing that I work on is, is literally as easy uh, as, you know, you look at a floor 
and maybe you get to use green tiles, blue tiles, and yellow tiles. You probably don't want this bathroom, but suppose that those are the colors. You don't know me. I, lo okay. I, I love living in a circus, apparently. Amazing. Yeah. Then, then I can tell you. <laughs> you know, you say to me, okay, my, my floor requires, you know, 10 tiles across and then 15 in the other direction. And then the question that I would ask is, well, in how many different ways could you tile the floor? Ooh, factorials. Right? So this is the kind of thing that I'm interested in. Oh, cool. Right? Um, but, but really, it gets really hard. Like, these yeah. questions are so easy to pose. Like, I can, ask, you know, I can walk down a hallway of a conference and be like, here's a question for you. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I get that. Let me do some examples and try to figure it out. And then no one knows the answer still. Right? Wow. And so those are the kind of questions that I'm really motivated by. And I like them. I mean, I've grown to like them. This wasn't a thing that I knew growing up right. that was like a field in its own right that had research questions that were mm. still open. Uh, but the older I've gotten, the more I've come to appreciate being able to just state a question very simply that anyone can understand, yet the mathematics needed to answer it are super deep. Yeah. And so there's a there's a quote by an uh, an old dead white guy that yeah. says, <laughs> you know right. that says something to the effect of any real deep mathematic problem turns out to be what we say a combinatorial problem, mm -hmm. right? So some counting is re required. And so that's really ha has shaped a lot of the research that I've done in the past 4 or 5 years. Okay. And what I like about it is that I can bring my students along for the ride. Yeah. For me, that has just been sort of the gem in it all, that I get to involve them in exactly the work that I'm doing, right? I, I know there's other mathematicians who have kind of two research tracks. They have kind of their research track that, you know, it's so above and beyond, sure, whatever undergraduates, sorry, I rolled my eyes. And then they say, well, but then I have this other kind of toy research area that then I involve students that in. That babies can do. That babies can do. Yeah. Because God forbid you can actually give undergraduates something difficult to think about, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. I don't have two different research areas, ones that I involve students with and ones that I do on my own, it literally is the same thing for me. And, and for me, that's important because I want my students to know that they're doing the research that I care about, that I'm interested in, that it is good research, that I'm not just you know on the side kind of doing these little toy examples with them. And I've had students, I mean, I've said this to my department, so it's cool. I have an undergraduate student who, who just graduated this past May. He now works at Facebook, Anthony Simpson, phenomenal student. His undergraduate research thesis was better than my PhD thesis, <laughs> right? And it is because I, I knew he could do it. Well, of course, I, ne I never told him that, right? I wasn't going to be like, hey, this is better than my PhD thesis. At the end, I did. He's going to listen. Well, okay. I'll send it to him. Okay. I'll let him this, know. This podcast um, is going to tell everybody. Now. Everybody. Everything you're saying right now is, is really just giving me joy because you're, you're a STEM communicator, right? right? Like, I think that the goal of science communication, the goal of this show, the goal of so many things that we want to do to share, you know, STEM out there, science, technology, engineering, and math is that we want to be able to synthesize an idea down to like one or two sentences so That's that right. anyone can understand and then to help them understand further that to answer that question is is very complicated That's and right. you have to use math you have to use science you have to use this thing that might intimidate you but you can do it That's right. That's exactly right. And that's what I've been pushing for in the past 4 years.
Welcome back to Spark Science. We're talking with Dr. Pamela Harris about the importance of building community and confidence through undergraduate research. We also, as always, geek out on pop culture featuring mathematicians. I've been working really, really hard in building community because I think for me, and I didn't realize how much being Hispanic and how much coming from a culture that, that like for me, community has always been the reason why I do anything, yeah. right? Like when I feel like I belong somewhere, when I feel like as an integral part of a group, I didn't realize that that was already kind of just built into me and yeah. that maybe was not built into other people. Yeah. And so when I would collaborate with people who who didn't have that as a priority, it was very difficult. I mean, yeah. I had a lot of really challenging experiences early on in my career in, in collaborations when I couldn't understand the dynamic that people didn't care about my family or didn't care about where we might have dinner that afternoon, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the more, the older I've gotten, yeah. the more I realize that the kind of community I've learned to build, especially with un other underrepresented scientists and scholars, has blossomed scientifically in a way that I could not have predicted. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a huge proponent of building community and really spending the time to get to know people, right? right? And to learn about their stories and what makes them them and leverage that connection into fruitful scientific discovery. And I think that's a thing you know, forget the math. And I say that to my students all the time. <laughs> forget the math. I don't care whether we publish a paper or not. I was like, I want you to leave here feeling like you belong here. Mm -hmm. The rest will come. The rest will come. And I think, I think for students that's weird because that's not a thing that they get told at their home institution, yeah. right? And this was, you know, like I did a summer program at, at the math, uh, Mathematical Sciences Research Institute in, in Berkeley this past summer. And so I had to ask these students who had never met me to just trust me mm -hmm. and to be friends and to go out for runs in the morning and to make sure that they got enough sleep at night. Mm -hmm. and when, and, right? And they're like, wait, but I don't understand. I came here to not sleep and to just work nonstop. And I'm like, well, you picked the wrong program. Right. I wouldn't do that here. Like, I wouldn't do that to another human being. Exactly. I'm not here to abuse people into doing good science. Like, let's build community. And then when we really feel like we value each other and that we have invested in each other's success, all of a sudden the math will flourish. And I, and I think they believed me, but they kind of didn't really. And I can tell you it's a six-week program, which is unheard of for research programs in the math world, hmm. right? Most of the time the summer programs are six to ten, sorry, eight to ten weeks long. Mm, so we had okay. six weeks. By the end of those six weeks, two of the groups have submitted research manuscripts. Mm. Like, they did the math, we edited papers, we got them ready for submission to research articles, right? And yeah. to me, that only happened because we spent that first amount of time just really getting to know each other. And we spent every Saturday together going to museums and having picnics and, you know, them running. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that's of primary importance for somebody like me to, to first build community. And then the science to me is secondary, which is maybe not what people expect. I, the more you talk, the more I just kind of, this is how my brain works, analyze what you're saying. I mean, I'm trying to synthesize what you're saying into like, you know, the, the simplest of terms, but like you're saying that 
once you actually give these students community, like I agree with you growing up, I had, you know, my dad's side of the family were very close. Like I can just depend on them. I, if I were to lose my job right, or like lose my house, I have so many uncles and aunts and cousins that would just take me in. Right. It's, it's like, there's no, there's no question about it. Right. There's no insecurity of that or instability. They're not well off. We're not well off, but I wouldn't starve. Yeah. You know, and then there's this this loyalty, right? And there's this confidence with right. that loyalty, right? right? So so you're saying that if they feel like they're in the community, then they're given confidence because they're part of something and they don't feel lonely. That's but right. But they're also given stability. They're That's also right. given like a safety net. So I can fail and no one's going to yell at me. That's or, right. And, and or I can try something and somebody will help me. That's right. So like you're taking away this fear, right? And, yeah. And so it... If you take away fear and you give people confidence, they can do anything. Yes. I agree wholeheartedly. You can have an undergraduate student come up with a thesis that's better than a PhD thesis. That's what you get, right? Because I... I don't set bars for my students. Like, I don't believe in that. I'm like, oh, they're... You know, they should reach this high. Mm. Why even set that? Like, just let them run. Like, let them experience science. Let them explore and discover without thinking you know, without restricting what they might be able to achieve. And I think that's, I just, they always surprise me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you could do this. Go do it. And then they're like, I did it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> in a week? You finished your thesis in a week, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's because they're not afraid to try things, mm-hmm. right? And they still find joy in discovery. In a way that the older I get, maybe I lose, but they keep that alive in me. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I think So as, really, you're just using that. Of course, for joy. Like, they make me so happy. I don't think that there's any other job in this world that would give me the sense of joy that th- that does. Because I get to live through that experience of submitting your first research paper every year. Right? Because I live that through my students. And I get to, like, take them to dinner and celebrate that they just gave a fantastic talk or a fantastic poster wow. at their first conference. Right? And it's like... I get to live that joy every day of my life. And like that, that, and I get paid for it. Right. I mean, I, don't let my chair here because, you know, I always want to race. But, yeah, you know. We all deserve it. We all deserve a race. But at the same time, it's the joy of that. I think it's unlike anything I ever expected. And it is a reward along a very long and, and hard journey um, that I'm reaping the benefits of pop culture so Mm -hmm. we haven't even I mean we've found very like many similarities between our lives I want to know if there's any mathematicians that you've seen in movies books tv that is either a really great portrayal or a really crappy portrayal oh go that is a good (laughs) question uh so I think first off there's so few yeah, yeah. Right? There's so few. There's Donna Glover in The, the Martian, right? Yeah. And, and I'm also thinking, okay, okay, we've done better recently, right? Mm-hmm. There's like mm-hmm. hidden figures. Right, right. Right? Uh, so Katherine Johnson is featured featured right. in that movie. And, and she, But she's a real person. But she's a real person. I guess so is she's, Donna Glover's. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's a book. Never mind. Yeah, she's a real per- person. So. Yeah, and so I think, I think I'm... Was it a good in- interpretation of her? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think it gives us hope that yeah. we're finally like, oh, hey, by the way, look at all the wonderful things women did. Yeah. And black women did. Right? It's, yeah. It's and like, they're the oh. same person. And they're <laughs> the same person. Yeah. And so I think those kinds of movies have really, have really made an impact. 
you know, and whether the portrayal was perfect or not, or whether the acting was great or not, like, I think just the sheer message that it sends right. that, that we are capable as women of color to make these great scientific contributions has for me been eye-opening. And so I like I, how you go to positive. You're like, I'm just going to talk about the positive. I'm not going to talk about the negative. Uh, you're awesome. Because I think I, I, I honestly can't think of one that I don't <laughs> like. Maybe because I'm very restrictive in what I watch. Mm. Right? So, like, I think I'm on I'm purpose not. avoid mm. watching things that are going to piss me off. Mm. And so I'm just like, if I don't watch that, then I don't have to think about it when it's happening. Right. Um, and so, so yeah. So I think that's why like the ones that come to mind are ones that are, that I find to be very positive and with a good message. I want to thank you for talking yeah. to me. This has been awesome. You're hilarious. Thank you. And I am very envious and happy for your students. You're, you're amazing. Thank well, you. listen, I'll come visit. We'd like to thank Dr. Harris for taking the time away from the conference to speak to us. If you want to find out more about Dr. Harris and her research, check out her website at PamelaEHarris.com. She also co-founded an organization that features contributions of Latinx and Hispanic scholars in the mathematical sciences. To check that out, go to LATHISMS.org. Spark Science is produced in collaboration with KMRE and Western Washington University. Today's episode was recorded on location in Honolulu, Hawaii, at the National Sackness Convention. To learn more about this amazing national organization dedicated to supporting faculty and students in STEM, go to sacnas.org. Our producers are Suzanne Blaze, Robert Clark, and myself, Regina Barber-DeGraff. Our audio engineers are Zara Coakley, Julia Thorpe, and Hannah Clark. Script support was done by Aaron Howard and Ariel Shiley. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, sparksciencenow.com. If there's a science idea you're curious about, send us a message on Twitter or Facebook at SparkScienceNow. Thanks for listening to Spark Science.